Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Advent is a very special time of year. It's a season in the church, a time set aside to prepare our hearts and minds for the coming of Christ. Just as we prepare our homes for the season by decorating, baking, and making everything festive, we can also prepare ourselves for Christmas. We can do that by reflecting on the significance of the birth of Jesus, of what this birth means, of who he is, and of how the coming of Christ changes everything. Now, there are many spiritual themes we can meditate upon to do this, to better appreciate the arrival, the reality of Jesus in our lives. And one of my favorites, which is our focal image for thinking about Jesus this Advent season, is to dwell on Christ as the light, the light of the world, the light that enters our darkness and overcomes it. Pure, plain, natural light as a phenomenon of nature, it just fascinates me. I mean, the very first of God's creative actions, science has taught us a great deal about light starting with the remarkable fact that it travels 186,000 miles per second. In fact, the renowned theoretical physicist Albert Einstein famously connected space and time through the speed of light as a constant. You know, E equals mc squared, remember that? All things, matter and energy, can travel up to this speed, the speed of light, given the right conditions. In fact, whenever we look up into the night sky, all the non-man-made objects we view in the astronomical heavens, we're able to see them due to light traveling from their location to Earth at this constant speed, the speed of light. Scientists refer to the distance from Earth to a certain galaxy in terms of light years. You've probably heard that before. So a given star or some other celestial object that we can see that is 10 billion light years away from us reflects the appearance of light that first shined some 10 billion years ago. How cool is that? How wonderful. I mean, light fascinates me, especially this time of year. I mean, I get mesmerized by Christmas lights. Do you? I, I love them. Everything from an elegantly warm lit Christmas tree in the window I'll be honest, to the gaudiest, most elaborate house and lawn light displays, I become transfixed by all the enchantment of the light. And so today I'm pretty excited because we're about to read about one of the best light shows ever, hands down. It's a strange but illuminating story filled not only with the most brilliant light show ever, but like an old TV Christmas variety show, there will be special surprise guest stars and even a voiceover announcement from heaven itself. Today, we are going to reflect upon a memorable experience of the light of Christ at its full brightness, an event that will enhance our appreciation of the one born in Bethlehem, that all his birth, his being, and his life bring into our lives. So I invite you, open up your Bibles and read along as we hear from Matthew chapter 17. Here we go. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 17, 1 through 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. 
Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a moment in the life of Jesus known as the Transfiguration. In most of our Bibles, this is in fact the heading right above the start of Matthew chapter 17, the Transfiguration of Jesus. Now, Luke also describes this same event in the ninth chapter of his gospel account, providing some additional details that better inform our understanding of what happens here. So we'll draw from Luke chapter 9 today as well. The story, as you heard, begins, After six days, Jesus took Peter and the brothers James and John and brought them up into a high mountain by themselves. The mountaintop upon which these events unfolded remains to this day a place of mystery. Now, based on where Jesus and the trio were coming from, they likely climbed one of the high ridges in the mountainous region not far from Caesarea Philippi. So perhaps Jebel Jamark in Upper Galilee, the highest elevation in that area, was the place. But again, we simply don't know exactly where this happened. The name of the mountain is not specifically mentioned. What is mentioned, not by Matthew, but in Luke's version, is this important detail. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up to this mountain in order to pray. And we know from the various asides in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that when Jesus went off to pray, it was typically his practice to do so while it was still dark, either in the evening or early in the morning before sunrise. The inference that all of this took place sometime not during normal waking hours is further underscored, again in Luke's account, when he tells us that Peter, James, and John were heavy with sleep as they arrived on the mountaintop. So, we should picture Jesus and the three of his disciples hiking uphill, with the air getting thinner and the cold temperatures increasing as they gained altitude. All the while, it is pitch black outside. It's against this backdrop, in a sense, somewhere between heaven and earth, perhaps inside a, a low-hanging cloud, that Jesus is transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John's very eyes. Transfigured is a strange word. It's not one that we use in everyday speech, right? The Greek word for it is the one that Matthew uses here, translated as transfigured, is the word metamorpho, which we get the English word, our English word metamorphosis from. So it means to be transformed or changed. Jesus was changed. His appearance was changed on this mountaintop. Matthew tells us his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Now, even more precisely, the word transfigure or metamorphize means to be changed from the inside out. Think of the metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly. So, it's not as if some weird spotlight shone upon Jesus. You know, some ray of emerging sunlight came upon him or it was the illumination of the moon. No, both the testimony of Scripture and the eyewitnesses present make it clear the bright luminescence came from within Jesus. 
So Jesus then, in a sense, turned inside out. And the result was this brilliant, dazzling light radiating out of his face, shimmering through his clothes, piercing the darkness all around Peter, James, and John. And then, as if the flash and intensity of all that blazing light weren't enough to take in, something even more remarkable is unveiled. Matthew writes, Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. The word appeared is the same word that is used to describe the coming of the angel to Zechariah in the temple in Luke chapter 1. It's also the verb Ananias uses to relate Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. In other words, this was an actual appearance, an actual guest appearance by Moses and Elijah in visible form and not an apparition. Now, much has been made through the centuries of why Moses and Elijah appear. And the most common explanation given is Moses and Elijah are both present to signify that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah. Moses represents the Torah, the law, God's rules for life, the way things God intended for things to be. And Elijah represents the prophets, God's promise in the midst of human sin to set things right, to enable us and this world to become all we were created to be. Later on, during this event on the mountain, Peter, James, and John will again look up and only see Jesus. Moses and Elijah will eventually be gone. And for me, this reinforces another reason why I think Moses and Elijah make an appearance. They do so in order to disappear, to exit stage left so that only Jesus remains center stage. Their role, like John the Baptist, is to decrease so that Jesus can increase. All the purposes and work of the Lord that Moses and Elijah represent come together and find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, both the law and the promises of God are fulfilled. In Jesus, both the law and the promises of God become the gospel. In fact, this fulfillment, this good news, is what the topic of conversation was between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. This is an insight we gain once again from Luke's account of this moment. Luke writes, They were speaking of his, Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Interestingly, if you check the footnote in your Bible, the word translated here as departure is the Greek word for exodus. In other words, they were conversing about Jesus' pending work on the cross, how Christ would set us free from our slavery to sin through his loving sacrifice, how Jesus would enter into the glory of his resurrection through his willing death for all humanity. This fantastic incandescent scene unfolds as if Peter, James, and John were not even there. Their presence in the midst of these mystical proceedings is either forgotten or ignored by Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. They pay no notice to them. That is until Peter, and you knew it had to be Peter, right? Finds his voice and speaks up. Seemingly interrupting their conversation, Peter's words aren't much more than an attempt to do something useful. Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, apparently Peter's not responding to what Moses and Elijah have been talking with Jesus about. That is, it doesn't look like Peter understood their conversation with Jesus. Peter, in mentioning putting up three tents for this divine trio, notice he says nothing of building tents for James, John, or himself. Peter's missing the bigger picture of what he's witnessing. Imagine that, right? Imagine, imagine having 
the greatest, three of the greatest historical spiritual figures of all time materialize right in front of your eyes. And in reply, all you can think to ask is, hey, can I get you a seat? <laughs> it's Luke, not Matthew, who states the obvious here, that Peter didn't know what he was talking about. Peter didn't know what he was saying. And before Peter has a chance to say anything else, before he can lay out his building plans, we're told Peter's words are cut short as a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud from heaven spoke over them. Well, they may not have understood the conversation before, but in this moment, very plainly, all three of the disciples hear and got this message because in response, they fell down on the ground terrified. But Matthew goes on to tell us that after getting some reassurance, Peter, James, and John again look up. Except now, they see no one but Jesus. And Jesus is no longer transfigured before them. The light show is over. Instead of the dazzling radiance that emanated from Jesus moments ago, Peter, James, and John are greeted by the calm, familiar sight of their master, no doubt with a sigh of relief. Now, typically, the focus when digging into this story is on the light show. Lots of people either get caught up in the sight of the brilliant radiance of Jesus in this moment or end up bogged down in skepticism and questions about re what really happened up on that mountain. My word to us today is not to get distracted or confounded by all the special effects. The point of this experience is not to explain or explain away the mechanics of this event. When it comes to special effects, not just here but in the Bible, they're just like special effects in the movies. They testify to a simple truth. And it's this. There is more to be known about what is really real than the human eye can see. Or, as Hamlet once put it to his faithful friend Horatio, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophy. What happens here is not about the light show. It's about the one from whom the light originates, the one who is the light. The heart of this story lies not just in what we see, but in what we are told. Not just in the light itself, but the direction given to us by the light. Like Peter, James, and John, we need to pay attention to the instruction we are given here. And what is it? What does the voice from heaven say? Do you remember? The voice says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. This is the second time recorded in the Gospels that a voice came from heaven to affirm the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The first was following Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. When he came up out of the waters, a voice said the exact same thing we heard here. The last one will be just before Jesus' faithful journey to the cross. While all the fireworks on the mountaintop are amazing, my friends, we are directed not just to enjoy the light show, but from the voice of heaven to listen to the one who is the light. In lieu of our ideas like Peter of staying put and constructing a nice tent to contain the brilliance of Jesus, much like our modern creation of our church buildings where we invite people to come and see Jesus inside, we're being redirected to follow the light and to build not a church building, but the kingdom of heaven on earth. We are directed beyond taking in this luminous vision of Christ to hearing and obeying the voice of Christ. But why? Why? Why should we listen to Jesus? Why? Why should we follow him? Because of what the light of Christ's transfiguration reveals. The sacred secret of Christmas. That secret that on the way down the mountain, Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, it's not time to share. The big reveal. 
that will finally come to light on another mount called Calvary, as this light burns brightly under the shadow of the cross, the darkness of all human sin, evil, and death. And what is this secret? That Jesus is not godly. Jesus is God. If you have a manger scene in your home, do me a favor right now and place the infant at the center of that scene in the palm of your hand or in your line of sight. Or just picture that child in the nativity in your mind's eye. Got it? Let's realize the coming of Christ is more than our creator sending another better emissary to us. Jesus is no angel. With his birth, we receive more than another Moses, more than a prophet, more than a man who would be king. In the birth of Jesus, the God who is king of kings comes down in person to us. It's not just any light that visibly transfused the human nature of Jesus that radiates from his face and his body and turns his clothing white. It is the blaze of his true divinity clothed in our humanity. Jesus irradiated what is called in the Old Testament. Check Exodus chapter 34. Jesus irradiated the Shekinah presence of God, the undiluted glory of the Lord Most High. Are you still holding or picturing that infant in the manger? Now try and comprehend how in the birth of that child, God made himself visible, incarnate to us. What we see briefly on this mountain is the fullness of this child who is born unto us. It is but a glimpse of how we will all one day see Jesus when he returns, not as a baby, but as our Lord and Savior. See the first chapter of Revelation for that picture. But again, the point of the light show is not just to open our eyes to who Jesus is, that he's more than a great teacher, that he's more than someone who lived peacefully but died violently, that he's more than a great miracle worker or inspirational martyr, but that Jesus is the living and eternal God. No, the point of the light show is directing us to listen to him, to follow Jesus. The light of Christ is our doorway to the voice of Christ, which is the very word of God. In other words, Jesus Christ is our human point of contact with all the mysteries and answers of the divine. To all the gigantic questions we have about God, life, its meaning and purpose, and our place in destiny, in all creation. My friends, there are all kinds of voices around us. Some of those voices are outside of us and some of those voices come from within. We are constantly bombarded by the voices of talking heads, of commentators crying out for our attention. These are voices that insist on telling us what's really happening and what should be done about it. These are voices that make accusations and place demands on us that pass judgment even as they offer their own self-justifications. These are the voices that kindle our anxieties and our anger and tempt us with false promises that we'll feel better if we just deny what's happening or blame it all on somebody else. There are voices all around us outside, and then there are voices all around inside of us. Voices of self-doubt, of self-criticism, all the would-haves, could-haves, and should-haves Voices that can cause us to question and to doubt what's true, what's real. Voices that can sometimes even cause us to question our identity and our significance. My friends, the point of the light show on the mountaintop is to declare that there's only one voice to listen to, 
Only one voice that has the words of eternal life, and it's the voice of Jesus. And what if, in the midst of all the noise, we try to truly listen and carefully hear that one voice, the voice of Christ? What if we kept our ears open to what he is saying in our life and our world today and tuned out all those other voices Because Jesus is always speaking a word larger and more powerful than all the other voices. In the midst of all the noise, Jesus speaks a word of life, a word of hope, a word of forgiveness, a word of mercy. Jesus is speaking always a word of beauty and of generosity, of courage, a word of love, and a word of healing. Jesus is always speaking a word to and for you and me. Are we listening to that word? Are we hearing his voice? Because here on the mountaintop, we hear the two most important words Jesus has to say to us. Did you hear them? Did they just pass you by? Let me take you back. In the aftermath of all the fireworks, as Peter, James, and John lie on the ground, their eyes shut, their bodies trembling, Jesus comes to them. Jesus approaches them, not vice versa. And so it always is with Jesus, right? Again, this is part of the gift, the celebration that makes Christmas possible. As we walk in darkness, the light comes to us. And notice that Matthew doesn't just tell us Jesus approached these cowering disciples. He adds that Jesus touched them. As we find ourselves afraid and lost in our darkness of how to approach God, our Father makes the first move and moves towards us, reaching out like a parent to a frightened child and touches us through the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus then extends two commands. As I said, perhaps the two most important things we need to listen to and to hear, especially these days. In the midst of all of our concerns, Worries so bad that we can't help but close our eyes to them. Fears so strong that they may even paralyze us. Jesus says, did you hear? Do not be afraid. We all live. We're all haunted by some level of fear. I mean, change itself often brings about fear. And thanks to COVID-19, we have been and continue to live at a time of massive, widespread change on multiple fronts. 10 months in, and we're still reeling from the change that's already happened. And from every indication, the change hasn't stopped coming. And what, more than anything else, is behind most of our reactions and decisions to all that's happened, to all that's still shifting? Fear. And here, Jesus speaks into the heart of the human condition, the plain and simple truth that what drives us more than we care to admit are our fears. What fears? Our fear of failure, our fear of loss, our fear of rejection, our fear of the unknown, our fear of death. The list of our fears goes on and on. And Jesus says simply, do not be afraid. God says this to us a lot. In fact, this instruction, this encouragement is given 365 times in the Bible. 365 times. That's one time for every day of the year. Maybe we'd be better off starting each day listening to that word from Jesus before we hear or listen to anything else. But let's be clear, these aren't magic words from Jesus. These aren't magic words. Jesus doesn't just simply tell us to snap out of it and suck it up. Jesus does not call us here to be fearless. Jesus doesn't just tell us not to be afraid. Jesus also gives us a reason, the reason we don't have to be afraid. 
why we can be courageous in the midst of change and not let fear have the last word in our lives. As Peter, James, and John have fallen to the ground and are overcome by their fear, Jesus comes to them, placing his hand on their shoulder, and he directs them not to be afraid and to get up. What Jesus says here is more than just get up. A more literal translation would be something like be raised up or wake up or maybe even be resurrected. The word Matthew uses here as get up is the same verb he uses to describe Jesus healing the paralytic, telling him, stand up in Matthew 9. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he takes the hand of the dead daughter of the synagogue leader and Matthew writes, the girl got up. It's the same word Jesus uses to instruct his disciples to go out and raise the dead in Matthew chapter 10. It's the same word Jesus uses to foretell his own resurrection multiple times in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's the same word that the angels use when the women who come to Jesus' tomb can't find him, when the angels say, he's not here, for he has been raised, as he said, Matthew 28. My friends, life in a broken world in the age of COVID on this side of eternity is not easy, it's hard. We can and we will stumble and fall. We have stumbled and fallen. We will get overwhelmed and maybe even find ourselves paralyzed. And when we get knocked down, we struggle to get back up. We struggle to get our feet back under us, to regain our balance, especially when our next steps are into the dark, a future that is unknown to us. But here, the good news, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, no matter how dark, No matter how uncertain it all gets, Jesus comes to us, extends his hand, telling us not to be afraid, and he calls us to get up, to be raised up, to be resurrected. And in this simple command, leveraged on the weight of Christ's glory, rests the promise that even though we fall, God has come in Jesus to lift us back up. It's the assurance that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and it feels like our life is over, we can and we will rise again. Jesus calls us to take the first step into a new and changed life despite our fears. And it's a life we can live only because Jesus gives it to us, only because Jesus is the light that comes into our world, the light the darkness cannot overcome. And this new life begins as we are raised up, as we let Jesus take us by the hand and lean on him, not only to get back up, but to learn how to walk how to follow him into the future. We call this story the transfiguration of Jesus, but the truth is it really wasn't Jesus who changed on that mountaintop, was it? I mean, Jesus didn't change as much as it was briefly revealed who Jesus is, who Jesus has been all along and who Jesus will be forever and ever. No, it wasn't Jesus who changed on that mountaintop as much as it was Peter James and John, who began to be changed. And we, like them, have been called to listen to Jesus, to not be afraid, to be raised up so that we can be changed too. Where is Christ taking us? We cannot say for certain. All we know is that Jesus has come to lead us out of our darkness. And such a journey will be an uphill battle. It is a path of ascension that will be strenuous and demanding at times. It is a road that will be marked with change, with suffering and sacrifice, but also with joy, with peace and everlasting hope. 
Jesus will lead us to climb into places beyond our everyday lives, circumstances outside of our comfort zone, things that may seem too enormous, too confusing, too frightening for us to handle. But beloved, things that are never beyond his control, never beyond the exercise of his grace. My friends, it's so easy to get caught up in the light show, to become absorbed by all the brightness and the glow of Jesus, that we lose sight of the point of his light, that we end up just admiring the light of Christ, but not actually following him. Let us then, let us then, before the breathtaking illumination of the infinite glory of God, of our creator who transcends time and space and yet is not too big or too lofty to reach out to us through the finitude of a baby's birth, through this child who will grow into the one who with his hand on our shoulder and his voice in our ear saying, be not afraid, will raise us up from sin, from death and from every hell. My friends, let us listen. Let us listen and follow Jesus. Illumined by the divine light of Christ and filled with his spirit, let us become, let us live as transfigured people, changed by the gospel of God for the better and by the grace of God, changing the world to be the best it can be. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.